How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Locked on Bucks, presented by brewhoop.com. I'm Frank Madden, joined today by my perpetual partner in crime, uh, Eric name. How you doing? I'm fantastic, Frank. Not super <laughs> fantastic, um, but I'm great. Yes. Eric uh, is not super fantastic because we are having to re-record this podcast uh, after doing uh, the basically this week we're going to be talking about position by position, uh, Monday point guards, Tuesday shooting guards, Wednesday small forwards, Thursday power forwards, and Friday centers. And we were recording yesterday on Sunday the point guards and shooting guards uh, and had some audio difficulties, which we'll spare you the details with. But unfortunately, we didn't realize that it wasn't recording properly until basically late last night slash early this morning. So anyway, uh, we have no excuse not to be really tight with this one because we've already had this conversation once before. And the conversation today is about point guards. Um, no huge breaking news. You know, normally we want to start off with with news of what's going on with the Bucks, uh, but you know we didn't think that Thonmaker going to uh, the Badger game or Matthew Delvadova getting engaged. Congrats uh, was worthy of an emergency podcast or more than you know a thirty second mention. I would uh, say I'm, the the only thing is Sports Illustrated started to come out with their top one hundred players. Um, yes. which is obviously interesting and will give us some conversation. And luckily, uh, the guys that will be on those lists for the Bucks should hopefully come into our conversations uh, later on this week. Um, but they released 100 through 51 uh, today, and Greg Monroe showed up at 63. Um, last year, he was 48. And last year, the Bucks had three in the top 100, Giannis at 100, uh, Monroe at 48, and I believe Middleton at 45. So with no Parker in the top 100, it seems safe to assume that Giannis and Middleton will appear in the top 50. How high they go, though, will be interesting to watch. Pretty funny to think of Giannis only being at 100 last year. I mean, e- even though even though it's I know uh, these things typically are for sort of this season production, not, you know, they're not saying that Giannis would go 100th in a you know, future uh, expansion draft type situation or something like that. But, uh, but we'll be very interested to see how much Giannis has, has made that jump in, uh, in the course of a, a year. Um, let's get into point guards. And speaking of Giannis, uh, and we'll start with Giannis because as much as uh, I always say, I don't like to call Giannis a point guard and I like to call him a point forward because he's not defending point guards. Uh, I think it's only appropriate that we do talk about Giannis at the top. Uh, Giannis will be, by all indications, and I think most of us are are totally down with the experiment and to see how how far the Bucks can take it. Uh, but Giannis will be effectively the point guard on offense. And I think one of the questions, and I know Eric, you can get into why you disagree with me about that random semantic argument in a moment. But uh, <laughs> but one of the interesting things uh, that I know uh, you, we can kind of step back from maybe first and say, well, why does it make sense, right? Uh, obviously, 
Giannis is a very special talent, uh, but there are many ways to involve a 6'11", super skilled, athletic, uh, you know, physical beast in an NBA basketball game. You don't necessarily need to have him bringing the ball up. So why would you want him bringing the ball up? And, you know, I mean, they're all the qualitative things that he seems to have point guard instincts. He got a lot better, you know, understanding pick and rolls, making plays for others. Blah, blah, blah. Stuff we've talked about. We've talked about the numbers. You know, almost 19 points a game, almost nine rebounds a game, over seven assists per game, almost two blocks per game after the All-Star break numbers that that nobody has ever put up over a full season. And I think the other piece that I just wanted to mention before we get into this uh, is the practical kind of lineup data we have uh, with Giannis at point guard. And we know that the Bucks were not great after the All-Star break last season. Uh, but I think if you look at the lineups, I think there's some encouraging data in there. And I'll plant this seed with you, Eric, and then you can respond. But if we look at the Bucks' most used lineups, nine out of the Bucks' ten lineups that were most commonly used after the All-Star break last year had positive ratings. So that's obviously a good point, a good yeah. starting point, right? Uh, overall, they were minus 1.9 points per 100 after the All-Star break. So I think that sort of shows you that... Um, at a minimum, uh, Jason Kidd was going mostly with the lineups that were working. Uh, unfortunately, and I, I hate to go back and and go hate on on uh, Michael Carter Williams because we've talked about trying not to hate on Michael Carter Williams uh, unnecessarily. Uh, <laughs> but the only lineup that that was a negative last season after the All Star break that played more than twenty four minutes was uh, sort of the old starting lineup, which was MCW Middleton. Giannis, Parker, and Monroe, they were minus 11.5, only scored 98 points per 100 in uh, 45 minutes. I mean, a lot of these sample sizes are obviously very small, but uh, perhaps fitting that the uh, the lineup that, that was the worst was basically the one lineup that wasn't really a point Giannis lineup. Uh, but all the other lineups not only were positive, but scored at a really high rate. And obviously, if we're talking about Giannis as a point guard, that's the, that's the number we care about since he's defending non-point guards. Uh, we want to look at how he's doing offensively and whether that makes sense. The most common lineup uh, with Bayless and Monroe at the 1-5 and five, uh, scored 111 points per 100 in 250 minutes. That's great. The next most common lineup with Mayo and Plumlee at the 1-5 and five, uh, defensively, again, uh, 110.5 uh, offensive rating. The next one was Bayless and Plumlee. That's 109 points per 100. The next one after that, 117 points per 100, and that had Rashad Vaughn as effectively the uh, <laughs> point guard defender. Uh, and you kind of go down the list. Uh, Ennis and Vaughn together uh, playing with Giannis, Parker, and Monroe, so no Middleton, scored almost 130 points per 100, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, all these lineups scored well above the Bucks' season average in terms of points per 100 um, for the most part. All of them outscored opponents other than that one lineup I mentioned. And I think that's, you know, again, it's a 28-game sample. It's not a definitive statement that Giannis is going to be the greatest point guard in the world or that he's going to lead the Bucks to some super efficient offense. But I do think it's very encouraging that even without Giannis or for the most part the Bucks as a whole shooting three-pointers much or particularly well, uh, Giannis playing the point translated into very efficient high scoring. So, I don't know. Any, anything else to add to that, Eric? Is is that all we need, or is there anything else about Giannis the point that we should mention here before we kind of get into you know the the more traditional point guard types on this lineup? Um, I guess you just kind of have to think about the fact that he doesn't even know what he's doing yet, <laughs> um, which is is just scary for the rest of the league. That I we've talked about it, and 
he has very natural, innate abilities as a point guard, which is great, and obviously helped him do so well in that role uh, after the All-Star break. But when you look at some of the reads he's making and uh, some of the progressions he's trying to figure out with, okay, if this help defender helps on this pick and roll, who's going to be open on the floor? Is there going to be someone cutting through? Is there going to be someone in the corner? Where does the ball go if this happens? And I I don't want to go cross sport, but whatever, it works. Um, So as a quarterback, you're making – your first read, second read, third read, fourth read. And as a point guard, you're kind of doing those same things. If you're running a pick and roll, your first read is, am I open? Can I go to the basket? Is that a, is it, do I have a wide open, wide open lane? Then you're looking at, okay, is my roller open? And then you're looking at, okay, is the guy in the corner open? Or is it a roller coming through? So as the season went on after the all-star break, he started to make some of those reads and he started to make some upper level passes. And I know I cut some of those and posted them in some of our, some of our recaps and some of our articles um, and some of the articles I wrote in Milwaukee magazine. So you got to see some of it, but for the most part, he still wasn't all that great at it. And that was something Brett Cormenis mentioned where any critique of Giannis, the point guard is, it's pretty fair. Like he, he did struggle with reads and he did struggle to try to figure these things out, but he also was very, very good at just kind of making plays and kind of figuring it out on his own and just using his natural skills to be a, a good. And as you've mentioned with all the numbers, he, an effective point guard. So, so that's undeniably a good thing for the bucks. Um, it's just a matter of them kind of trying to figure out how to fine tune that and how to make it perfect. Um, so that's, that's exciting. Just the fact that no matter what, the offense was working with Giannis as he was trying to learn and trying to get better. So you'd hope the same could be true this year, and uh, you just kind of have to wonder how the Bucks are going to try to put lineups together. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I think one of the interesting things looking at uh, the quote-unquote real point guards on the Bucks roster, uh, you know, we can start w- certainly with with the Matthew Delvadova versus Michael Carter-Williams debate, but we also have a number of other guys that I think are relevant in this discussion. You know, Tyler Ennis, more of a you know true point guard, at least coming out of college, a guy you wouldn't think of as necessarily a much of a you know shooting guard type candidate, especially given his size. Uh, and then you have other guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Terry. Uh, depending on how you think of them and, you know, especially with Terry, given his age, um, you know, might play point guard or shooting guard. Um, So those guys bleed into the sort of the the other positions as well. Um, But I think the interesting question uh, that comes down to, you know, the other, the nominal starter at point guard. So we've got Giannis on the court. So we're already cheating, basically. You know, if Giannis is a cheat code, uh, the first cheat code is that you can put him on a court on the court at, small forward or power forward, wherever you want to say in terms of defensively. And then you have another ball handler who is, you know, capable of defending point guards. And and obviously the presumption is that that will be either Matthew Delvadova or Michael Carter Williams starting games. And looking at those two, it's interesting, right? Because there's obviously the clear sort of fit discussion that we had a lot last year around why I think most of us felt like Jared Bayless and OJ Mayo were both probably more compelling compliments to point Giannis than Michael Carter Williams was, uh, became a bit of a moot point when Michael Carter Williams got hurt last year and missed, you know, most of the last couple months of the season. But it's certainly now a renewed debate that will happen, uh, with Matthew Delvadova coming in, uh, Bayless and Mayo obviously being gone. Um, and I think it's interesting because it, you know, it speaks to both, uh, Delvadova and MCW's limitations as players 
and how well those limitations mesh with the other guys on the court uh, and specifically Giannis's limitations. And I think normally we'd look at Giannis and say there are really no limitations other than his perimeter shooting. Um, but Eric, that's pretty important when you look at who we would both prefer to, to start in the backcourt, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, it is kind of an important thing for point guards. that There's not a ton of point guards in the league that can't shoot, and if you find one that can't shoot, well, his team has probably struggled to figure out a good rotation for him. Like You think of Rubio, you think of Alfred Payton, um, I'm trying to think of any others that come to mind right away. Um, I mean, you got you, you do have guys like Westbrook, right, who's not a good three-point shooter but is such a force of nature otherwise. <laughs> he just shoots that, right through it. Like, he just shoots right it, through it. Yeah, I can't shoot, matter, whatever. But, I'm going to take five yeah. threes tonight. It's fine. Right. Um, but, yeah, so it, it is tough to find. But, again, you do have to kind of get creative and try to figure out how, how that's going to work out. So, yeah, it, it is certainly a limitation of his game, and especially at that point guard spot, it makes it a little bit more interesting roster uh, roster construction wise and again it makes it even more interesting for a guy like Michael Carter Williams and really if I'm trying to think of an example of a point guard who can't shoot why would I not go straight to MCW because that's kind of been his MO since he got into the league and since he's pretty much uh, a, a poor 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 man's Giannis Atetokounmpo it just doesn't really work out like his strengths are if he's if he's going to be on the floor, the ball should be in his hands because he can't really do anything off ball and he screws up the spacing. So, yeah, Delhi seems like the obvious player to play alongside Giannis most often. Um, but really, as, as any of these conversations go with us, it comes down to whether or not Jason Kidd feels the same way. And it, it would be a major departure for us to see... Michael Carter Williams minutes go down to like 20 minutes per game. And then, uh, again, Dal Vidova was a free agent signing. So maybe that gives him a little bit of clout and he can go to like the 28, 30 range, but it would be a major departure. Even after the all-star break again, MCW only played five games, but in those five games, 32 minutes a game and pre all-star break, it was 30 minutes a game for MCW. So it, it seems like the bucks and Jason Kidd want, it to work out for MCW and want to give him a chance. Um, so it, it's just going to be interesting to see how those two's, uh, I guess you, to me, they're interconnected at all times that if one's on the floor, the other isn't, but maybe there's some bench units that you could use both of them. Um, but that makes it tough because if one of them's on the floor and the other isn't, how do you try to play them at shooting guard? What lineups can you do to get them more minutes elsewhere? And really, if at point guard you're playing Giannis 35 minutes a night, that's 13 minutes for two guys that are essentially point guards in Della Vadova and MCW. It's just it's it's really tough to figure out. Yeah, and I mean personally, like I don't care about Della Vadova getting true point guard minutes. I think he's shown he can, you know, run the odd pick and roll. He can throw some lobs. Uh, you know, he's smart enough that he can do some of those things. But you know, if he's entirely effectively an off the ball point guard, that that is is no problem to me. Um, I think it's probably a bigger issue for for MCW for the reasons you mentioned, and kind of looking at him, uh, you know, he is sort of have some of the similar issues that Giannis says, where you you think about the other guys on the court having to uh, compensate certainly with MCW for his lack of shooting. Uh, and so I think it is interesting to think about, you know, second team lineups, for instance, do you always try to get Mirza Toledovich on the court 
with Michael Carter Williams because Toledovich is a perfect off the ball spacer and he obviously does that in a way that that Giannis and Jabari who are the other guys that you'd expect to see at, at power forward uh, are not going to be able to do so I think it's going to be very interesting uh, you know Michael Carter Williams is in a contract year uh, two years ago Michael Carter Williams coming off a rookie of the year season is probably thinking I'm going to be you know a max player and I'm going to be uh, a franchise building block and etc 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 and obviously he's had to come down from that a fair bit over the last couple of seasons but clearly he's still a guy who probably thinks he should be starting somewhere and I think the interesting question is you know especially if he's being brought off the bench behind a guy like Delavadova who he probably looks at and says you know what the hell I'm better than Matthew Delavadova like I, I can take this guy one-on-one he's like well that's not that's not NBA basketball right it's it's not a one-on-one competition or you know if it was uh Matthew Delavadova wouldn't be getting you know nine million dollars a year uh, so I think it's I think the big one of the big X vectors at the point guard spot for me is Michael Carter Williams' mindset and his attitude, and does he come in looking to be the completely you know self sacrificing team guy who's willing to play whatever role? And I think the upside for him is that if he is willing to come off the bench, for instance, he's going to have opportunities with the ball in his hands if he does that. You know, arguably he's going to have the ball more in his hands than Delvedova would off the bench, just because, as you mentioned, you know, when Giannis is in the game, he's going to have the ball presumably. So, you know, if that's 35, 36 minutes a game, there's not much time for somebody else to to be handling the ball. And you've also got Chris Middleton who can do stuff with the ball. Uh, Jabari Parker might be doing stuff with the ball more this year. So, so there just isn't, you know, much ball to go around. Uh, So I think that'll be a really interesting thing to see. You know, looking at the numbers, I was looking at MCW off the bench, MCW starting. Uh, was there kind of a big different difference between his performance in those two settings? Basically, his efficiency was pretty much the same, i.e. not efficient, unfortunately. you know, <laughs> About 50%, 50%, 49% true shooting. Um, average similar points per game, similar assists, like you know, basically just sort of scaling with his minutes played, uh, as Eric mentioned, or a little over 30 uh, as a starter, uh, maybe 31 as a starter, and and 28 plus uh, as a as a bench guy. But I think that's the plus for him is that even if he's coming off the bench, he can play a fair bit. And uh, again, with the fact that the Bucks might have some more shooters, uh, especially with Toledovic off the bench, I think that certainly plays to MCW strengths. And obviously, you hope that uh, you know perhaps coming off surgery, perhaps he'll be more healthy than he was previously. Uh, and and hopefully some of his issues last year were related to that. I don't think any of us are expecting him to suddenly be able to shoot three-pointers. But hey, we're willing to be surprised. But at this point, as a 25-year-old who you know hasn't really shown much of any touch you know, from perimeter, from for the free-throw line, he's not a good free-throw shooter even. Uh, he obviously has some limitations there. He was an okay uh, long two-shooter last year. He was at 37.5%. Um, the other interesting thing I think about him is that he's a surprisingly really good uh, sort of not sort of non-restricted area paint score um you know three to nine feet so when you're not right at the rim but you're in the paint that's normally a very difficult place to score efficiently It'll, tons of guys on the pucks last year were under 40 under 30 percent um you know bayless mayo both struggled mightily in that range uh which you can probably understand as as them just being kind of too small to be able to score effectively from that range uh but mcw just seemed to you know again using that size against smaller point guards uh had decent touch in that range shot 46 percent, which you know again isn't like you know it's not a shot that you want 
to rely on heavily, but uh, it is a shot he has in his bag of tricks. And uh, the more shooters you can put around him, the better he's going to be able to attack the basket and, and hopefully make plays for himself and others. I think um, one thing one thing that I just find interesting about this lineup is the fact that you look at MCW, you look at Delvadova, and you think, okay, we always say you are who you defend, and I think both MCW and Delvadova could defend shooting guards. I don't. I don't feel bad saying that. I don't feel like I'm being a homer by saying that. I, I think that's a relatively accurate assessment of their skills defensively. And then you look around the rest of the roster, and there's very few guys that you would say are only one thing. Like Jason Terry could play point guard, could play shooting guard. Um, you look at Middleton could play shooting guard, small forward, power forward. You look at Brogdon. He could play a bunch of bunch of different spots. Parker can play three and the four. Giannis can play one through five in our dream world that we love. Um, Toledovich <laughs> can probably play. Maybe he's just a four, but he could probably play some three as well. Thon could play four and five. Monroe, I guess, is one of those that's more limited. He's only a five. Uh, Plumley maybe is just a five. But you look at some of the wing and guard spots, and you see guys that can play multiple positions, and you would think, man, creating a rotation, creating roster, creating, I guess, lineups that you like should be easy. But since so few of those guys can shoot, you're – kind of limited in how you try to put those different combinations together and it's just funny to think that in the NBA now that's always a big thing like can you guard multiple positions can you play multiple positions and the Bucks have guys that can do those things but when it comes down to me trying to think of lineups that I like where I have those guys in different positions I can't really think of any good ones and I don't know it's just funny that there there's so many flexible players on this roster but the roster is so inflexible yeah, I think defensively is where the flexibility comes from. Uh, and maybe we'll see lineups, you know, with a guy like Jason Terry, uh, whether you want to call him a point guard or a shooting guard, maybe you can put him on the court with Michael Carter Williams and MCW is the point guard on offense. But defensively, you know, you can put MCW on whoever is the the better, more sort of skilled player on the opposing team. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch, I think, sort of how some of the, that plays out. I think MCW, um, you know, I think if you're kind of trying to carve out options for him, you know, if any of those uh, <clears throat> other guys we've mentioned figures out how to shoot at the other guard spot, you can play them certainly with MCW. And then again, can you get him on the court with Toledovich? Maybe that's the, the way to do it. Um, but talking about those other guys, uh, you know, Tyler Ennis is maybe the the forgotten man among Bucks point guards. Uh, we've also got Brogdon. We saw Brogdon play uh, point guard essentially all of summer league and uh, looked very steady. You know, three turnovers against 22 assists, which is obviously very impressive and couldn't shoot, unfortunately. Um, but what's kind of your gut take looking at um, looking at the other guys who are maybe in that mix? I mean, are we kind of kidding ourselves if we think any of those guys are really going to get point guard minutes barring one or more injuries? Honestly, it, it feels like we are. And it's just tough to imagine how a guy like Tyler Ennis or Malcolm Brogdon gets point guard minutes this season uh, like you said th- there would have to be an injury for that to actually be true and and this comes from someone who is actually kind of impressed with Tyler Ennis post all-star break uh, he was he was generally not 
a terrible basketball player. He <laughs> he was able to do some things out there. And granted, a lot of times it was making sure he was just getting out of Giannis's way. But you look at his post-All-Star break production and you see him participate in 22 games. He averages 20.3 minutes per game in those 22 appearances. Uh, six points, two rebounds, three assists, about a turnover and a half per game. So a two-to-one assist to turnover there. So it did appear like he was starting to figure things out. And again, you never really know what Tyler Ennis because he's, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the best shooter. He's not the the biggest floor general he he's just at times he just seems like a guy but post all-star break he seemed like a guy that could fit in so it's interesting to sort of think of a world where mcw does get traded and the bucks are able to find a, a trade partner for mcw um and you see ennis step into some of those minutes but Overall, it just seems kind of difficult to try to figure out how Ennis or Brogdon, like you said, who who was pretty impressive in summer league, if how either of them would attempt to get into the rotation, uh, especially because even when we were just talking about MCW and Delhi before, with their dynamic, how are they going to get enough minutes? And with Giannis taking up 35 minutes or so a game at point guard, and even if we are just talking about this smallest person on the floor nominal point guard role it seems like it's going to be tough to find enough minutes for Delhi and mcw and keep both of them happy before adding in anyone else to the equation yeah i think the the quick answer is you know you're you're generally not playing whether you have point Giannis in the mix or, or not you're just not generally playing three point guards in a game um you know big guys sometimes you're more likely to play more centers just because of uh, foul trouble that big guys get into, but uh, with point guards, it's generally just not really something that y- you have to deal with as much. And so, you know, Tyler Ennis, I think, is again going to have to probably figure out a way to to earn himself minutes and practice and see if he can warm his way into maybe some two point guard lineups. I think it's more likely that, uh, you know, I, I think it's let me say this, I think it's unlikely that MCW or Delavadova randomly gets a DNP. Uh, I think it's much more likely uh, that you know the fourth guard spot could be kind of a very flex type position, uh, and obviously we got Chris Middleton, who we'll talk about tomorrow, and how wonderful he is at shooting guard, who's going to get obviously the majority of minutes at shooting guard. Uh, but the fourth guard spot, and again, you know, I think that doesn't really fit into our our five day uh, <laughs> approach to this. But I think effectively, uh, a lot of the way that that kid probably will approach this is, you know, you've got Delavadova, you've got. MCW, okay, you can call them point guards. You've got Chris Middleton mostly playing shooting guard probably given the lack of minutes uh, when healthy at at the forward spots. And then you've got kind of a question mark and maybe that fourth guard is Jason Terry. Maybe it's Malcolm Brogdon. um, Maybe it's Rashad Vaughn. Maybe it's Tyler Ennis. uh, But all those guys, that pack of four is, you know, maybe they should just have like a around the world shooting contest before every game or something like that. And then whoever, whoever does the best gets to, uh, gets to play on. I don't know. But for me, that's probably my guess as to how it will work. Um, but certainly anybody who, who is shooting well and, and Terry's the only guy there that, you know, you could argue has any type of pedigree as a, as a proven NBA shooter. And of course he has a quite, quite strong pedigree given, uh, given where he is in the, in, in terms of career three pointers, his concern obviously is more defensively and, you know, does he have much left in the tank? But, uh, but I think it'll be interesting to, to play out, uh, to watch play out. So, 
Uh, it sounds like we're not too bullish on Tyler Ennis uh, unless there's maybe a trade or, or injury. Um, you know, he's a guy I think it's pretty important that the Bucks kind of figure out what they have with him because, you know, going into his, his third year now, they still have one more year of rookie contract after this. But um, I think it's, it's very uncertain sort of what his role would be. I think you mentioned his, his you know, he was better after the All-Star break, shot 36% from three, 53% true shooting after the All-Star break, uh, you know, had decent chemistry, I think, playing with Giannis. Kind of could could handle the ball a little bit. Could also get out of the way when needed. Uh, you know, got to the rim a bit as well, which is obviously something that is important for him. I mean, if he can knock down threes at a league average rate and occasionally get to the rim and and make good decisions, then then that's probably kind of peak Tyler Ennis. Um, but I think it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, you know, is, is there something with the way that Brogdon was used at the point in summer league? Is that a hint that that's how the Bucks plan to use him longer term, um, or you know they just view him as a as a utility player and they want him to be able to have those ball handling skills. So, uh, one thing that I, I wanted to bring up that you had brought up at the first time we recorded this podcast was the fact that you look at the contracts for people in. It's tough to figure out what the future of the Bucks' nominal point guard position is. Whether or not Giannis continues, there's got to be other people in that point guard position. So right now you're spending nine and a half for Delhi, and then at the end of this season, MCW is a restricted free agent. So if he's not the answer and you want MCW to move on, you almost have to find minutes for Tyler Ennis because if you don't find him a role, you would have to worry about his development stalling out because he's not getting playing time. So there's a strange dynamic there where you're going to struggle to keep MCW and you're going to struggle to keep Delhi happy. But if you want to continue to save money at the point guard spot or the nominal point guard spot, whatever you want to call it, if you want to save money there, you can't really have much more than Delhi. You would need to find a cheap option that can play those backup minutes to Del Vadova. So logically that would feel like Tyler Ennis's role. Um, so it requires looking into the future a little bit and also roster construction and how you try to put a team together and where you can spend money and where you can't spend money. But if you have a max for Giannis, you have a max or a near max for Jabari, you have Middleton signed up, you have your money stuck in Henson and Plumley you have to try to find other ways to maximize the roster and being able to find a cheap backup point guard type player would be one way to do it. So that to me suggests that Tyler Ennis needs to find a role with this team and you need to find out what you have there. So there's some part of me that thinks you really do need to get an MCW trade done or you really do need to decrease his role no matter whether or not he's happy with it because you have to find minutes for that next backup point guard and maybe you can find a cheap free agent but it seems unlikely and it seems easier to fill that role internally so it's just going to be something that I'm thinking about as this season goes on and definitely thinking about a way for Tyler Ennis to try to try to get his way in there and hopefully find a role that helps the Bucks save some money going forward. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really good point, especially when you think longer term. Uh, you know, I have no idea how to even begin framing what Michael Carter Williams 
contract wise would be worth to the Bucks. Not, I mean, he's effectively. I mean, he is eligible for an extension right now, which of course you know nobody's even talking about because how would you even price him at this point? But it, it's an interesting situation because you look at where the Bucks are. If you assume again that that Giannis and Jabari get uh, max deals, well, in 2018, I mean. The numbers that that we've seen from the league, which obviously are always subject to change, could be higher. Usually they tend to be higher rather than lower in terms of the projected cap. And we have a lot of uncertainty with the potential lockout maybe changing the way that the the cap dynamics look. But if you assume those max deals for Parker and Giannis, by 2018, which is the year after MCW becomes a free agent, would need a new deal. I mean, with the current salary obligations you have, you can't even pay him... Delavadova money basically to stick around, so I think I'm I'm really curious to know how the Bucks are going to be approaching that and whether they, you know, on the back of their their cap sheet whether they're kind of holding open uh, some slot where they assume well we're not going to pay Plumley and Henson both uh, you know ten plus million forever like clearly we're not going to do that it's like okay well that that would help if you're trying to open up more cap space but uh, as you mentioned you know when you're planning to have two forwards hopefully knock on wood who are good enough to be max players in Giannis and Jabari when you've got Chris Middleton on a bargain contract which won't, won't last forever but you know he's he's obviously a key key building block that you're thrilled at at his price uh, and then you've got a ton of money even even past Monroe you've got a ton of money invested at the center spot there just isn't much money to spend on the rest of the roster. And so I think absolutely, I mean, even paying Della Vadova $9.6 million a year for the next few years, uh, that's certainly not much for a starter or for a guy chewing up you know, starter-ish minutes. But I just don't see how you can you know, even expect a, a, a good case scenario where, you know, no, with, where MCW plays well and then you actually keep him on anything resembling uh, a, a quote-unquote fair deal for a guy who's a really good six-man. So... I don't know. It's an interesting question. We've talked a lot about how the Bucks don't have to move MCW, but they have to make a decision about him next summer. And it'll be very interesting to see once we get towards the trade deadline where kind of things stand with him if he's still around at that point. And, you know, again, do the Bucks decide to hit the reset button on MCW uh, because they want to, because he's, you know, maybe just not panning out and playing well enough? Or maybe they do it just because there just, frankly, isn't enough money under the luxury tax to, to be paying him and Jabari and Giannis and Middleton and Plumlee and Henson and all these other guys. So I think there's going to have to be some, you know, some decisions made about, you know, you got all these guys under contract. Do you want to add MCW to that at some point, even at a lower number than he would probably want? Or do you just kind of cut bait and move on? But definitely another interesting you know, subcontext. It's funny that you mentioned that because one thing I've always talked about with the Bucks in making a decision at the point guard position is no decision. (laughs) Yeah. They, they don't really make a decision. They just decide to punt it and make that decision later to kick the can down the road a little bit further. And it's kind of been their MO for a while at the point guard position. They weren't a hundred percent sure about Jennings and he was doing new contracts. So let's move Jennings and you get in Brandon Knight and you get in Chris Middleton and then Knight's getting to a spot where he's about to get paid and well, let's trade him for MCW and then we'll see what we have in MCW. And again, you're getting to that spot where what is MCW? Is he a part of the future? And maybe this time he doesn't have as much value as those other two had. So you, maybe you can't make a trade. So then that means you just have to kind of cut ties and go in a different direction. So 
there's there's decisions to be made there and eventually at some point whether or not the Giannis point guard thing continues a decision has to be made about that fifth starter and, and it just hasn't been something the Bucks have been willing to do at this point yeah and even if they decided to use Giannis in a less ball dominant way for whatever reason and I don't know if that's I don't know. I, for some reason, I, I just don't even. I'm already kind of just assuming that Giannis will be a primary ball handler, regardless of what we call him. Um, but even if he was not, uh, you know, even if he was maybe a little bit more off ball, or if he was more like a LeBron type guy, you know, why why would Mark Michael Carter Williams be the guy that you want playing or investing in at point guard, especially when you have Delvadova around? You've already given him a long term contract, if not for a ton of money, but for. Uh, a pretty good chunk of change. So yeah, if if the Bucks are going to save money at any position, uh, it's not center right now. Uh, it's not going to be at the forward spots. They're saving a lot of money at shooting guard because of Chris Middleton. And I think the big question is at point guard. I mean, you're going to have to make do. I think with with pretty cheap options there. And luckily with Giannis taking on the ball, most of the ball handling, you actually have the ability to take advantage of that and and put less money into that spot. You don't have to go and give you know Jeff Teague. 20 to 25 million dollars a year which let's let's all kind of stop and and realize that that's going to happen probably and we should be happy that the bucks don't have to do that but anyway let's wrap it up for there that was our discussion of the bucks point guard position we'll be back on tuesday with a discussion of the shooting guard position which obviously overlaps a fair bit with uh, with the point guards as we were mentioning uh any comments for us let us know tweet us email us brewhoop at gmail.com uh Drop us a line uh, via Twitter, whatever's convenient, and uh, hopefully we'll address it soon. For Eric Name, I'm Frank Madden. Thanks so much. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.